Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus this morning that you are our God. You're our anchor. Were it not for you holding us and for you being steadfast, we would have drifted away a long time ago. But Jesus, you have kept us. And by your spirit, we praise, praise you and thank you for keeping us, for bringing us home. For guiding us through this world. For you are the good shepherd. And you know how to lead us. And you do see us. And you know where we are. And the battles we fight. The struggles that we have. The sins that we wrestle with. But you died for us. And you live for us. And it is only because of you that we have hope. <clears throat> so we rest in you this morning. And we thank you God that you've chosen us to be the people. To live in the last days. That you've chosen us, God, to be the church in this hour. To be a demonstration of your kingdom. I pray that you would fill us with love. And compassion for one another. Gratitude for what has been extended to us. What we've had the privilege to be able to do. And called to. <clears throat> and that we would serve you, the king. For the advancement of your kingdom. <clears throat> in our own personal lives and our culture. And in our world. And that your church would evermore be a testimony of your kingdom. We love you this morning. We thank you. We reverence you this morning, Lord. For you are the God of gods. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. There is no one like you. There is no other God beside you. And you are worthy. You are worthy of our praise. Our worship. Our life. The presentation of our bodies to you. You are worthy. And Lord, we thank you that you receive us through the blood of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you just give the Lord praise and <clears throat> thanksgiving to God. <clears throat> just want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Acts 20 and 2 Timothy 4. <clears throat> I wanted to share a couple of verses from here. We're going to read a couple of other chapters this morning. But these are the two primary verses that I would like for us to focus on for just a few minutes this morning. And um, the title of this message is, You Get No Time Outs in Life. And um, I, I pray that you will understand the intent and the heart of this as we go through it. <clears throat> I, was, um, I was moved by God this morning, and I believe God spoke to me today. And I'm very thankful. I believe there are people watching that God spoke to you today as well. When we began our worship this morning, I was just standing right over here and I was just crying out to God with a very loud voice. Don't you see us? Do you see how desperate we are for you? Do you see how much we need you? God, do you see us? And not often, but every now and again, the Spirit of the Lord moves on Jim and he gives a word. And he said, yes, I see you. Yes, I know where you are. I know the battles you fight. I know the struggles you have. I've already made a way for you. I've already given you victory. I've already forgiven you. I've already delivered you. What a God. I tell you, if, if you don't believe this stuff is real, then no joy, no peace for you. Because Romans 15 says joy and peace to those who believe. So thank God for faith, to believe this, to believe this word, and then the comfort that just came on the heels of that through Evan 
I just appreciate people working and operating in the gifts of the Spirit. Things happened in this altar that were not necessarily public. But there were things going on in this altar where people were praying and interceding for one another. And I appreciate that. There are things going on where you are, maybe up in the balcony even, where there were moves of God going on in your life. And I just, I just say I am so thankful for a church that has the faith to respond to God and believe that the Holy Spirit is in them and that the Holy Spirit can actually work through their life and that you don't bury yourself in yourself. You don't maybe just get down in your chair and get on your knees and bury your face into your chair because the expression of our love for Jesus is loving one another and the expression of our service to Jesus is serving one another. And that to me is one of the reasons that the altar up here is so powerful Because you're coming up here engaged to minister to one another. You're not hiding. You're not just in your little prayer closet, if you will, at your seat where you don't have to deal with anybody. And prayerfully, you might think nobody will deal with me. I can just be left alone and no one will touch me. But that's not what church is about. Church is about fellowship and community and loving one another, helping one another, supporting one another. And being engaged for each other, this is the way we demonstrate our love for Jesus. John said it this way. He said, how can you say that you love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love the brothers that you do see? How can you say that you want to serve God if you're not serving the body of Christ that he died to have? Now, I thank God that you are servants of the Lord. And I thank God that you come with the heart and the mindset to really serve God. And I would to God that this whole community is just arrested with the presence of God. And that God's presence would permeate not just in our worship services, but in our lives as we go to work and we go to school and we go out on our streets in Baton Rouge. That people would really see the presence of God in our life. So I'm very thankful for you, church. And the book of Acts chapter 20. And y'all just please pardon me. I just, my throat is scratchy and just kind of dealing with that today, but Jesus, heal it, help me preach and do whatever you want to do through this voice today in Jesus name. Amen. Um, I want to read in Acts 20. This is coming towards the end of Paul's life. And what a man Paul was, what a servant of Jesus and a servant of the church. Paul wrote and he said in his epistles that everything that happened to his life was for the church. Everything was for you everything. If he was blessed, it was for you. If he suffered, it was for you. If he was in jail, it was for you. And and hasn't that been the case? Because he wrote his epistles in jail and we benefit from that. And in jail, he and Silas sing praises to God. And we have the testimony of an earthquake and a jailer getting saved with his whole house. That gives us hope, right? When we're faced and pinned in by the enemy, there's a way out. As Curtis McGee would say, you have one more move. You know, there's just something else that can be done. And so when I read this, um, I just want us to see this in Acts 20 that I just think is so absolutely beautiful. Beginning in verse 16, for Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia. For he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And I just I want to just highlight a few phrases and words As we go along, and one of the words I just want to highlight right now is hasted. 
And I, I just want that to kind of jump out on you. Maybe it never has as you've been reading this passage of Scripture. It didn't always do that to me either until God just kind of stirred my heart with this thought that he gave me. But Paul hasted because Pentecost was coming. And whether Paul got there or not, Pentecost was going to come. And so if Paul wanted to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost, he can waste no time. He has to get there if he wants to be there for it. Beloved, I say that with you. If there are things that you desire to do for the kingdom of God and you desire to get there in time, then you got to get there. you got to make haste. Because the day's going to come and the day's going to go. If you will, for you, Pentecost is going to come and it is going to go. It is up to you to get there. And Paul hasted in order for him to be at that place. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church. And then when they were come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day. So he wasted no time from the very first day. Paul began his work with the church at Ephesus. He said, I came into Asia after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. He was there long enough for many seasons to go by. From the first day to the last day, Paul wasted no time. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me. By the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. I left it all on the field. I didn't keep anything out. I didn't leave anything out. I wasted no time. I gave everything I had. And I profited you. And I have showed you. And I have taught you publicly. And from house to house. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, because this is another mark of time. Now, behold, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Not knowing the things that shall befall me there. It is not just Pentecost I'm trying to get to. But it is a testimony that I have to have in Jerusalem. And I'm not sure what's going to happen. But I'm very certain it's going to look like prison. I'm very certain it's going to look like torture. I'm very certain it's going to look like persecution. Because he says in verse 23. <clears throat> Save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city. Saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Making haste to persecution, making haste to suffering, actually making haste to his death. That was the race he was called to run. And Paul would make no delay in getting there in order to serve God. And he says in verse 24, even though the Holy Spirit has given me this witness and this word of knowledge for my life, that everywhere I go, bonds and imprison or afflictions abide or await for me, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And I love this because here's the Apostle Paul and he's making his move 
And he's always made his move. From the day that he met Jesus, he's always been making his move and making haste and going about the things that God has given him to do. His life is acquainted with suffering and persecution and trials. The excitement and the joy of his life is he gets to testify of the grace of God. And I believe there is a combination of this type of suffering and affliction with the opportunity to testify or to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because Paul was able in the midst of his suffering and his affliction not only to preach God's grace but to demonstrate God's grace. He was able to go to the points of absolute weakness, absolute helplessness to the visible eye, And yet there was this strange, if you will, mysterious presence and power that Paul said was God and his grace that was on my life that supernaturally propelled Paul beyond things that he should have never gotten up from. There were designed attacks of the enemy against Paul's life that were intending to take him out, overthrow his faith. And again, those were words that were given to us today. And even in Jonathan's letter that he wrote, the enemy's trying to overthrow your faith. And here's the Apostle Paul. I've got to get to Jerusalem. I want to get there for Pentecost. I know that affliction waits me. I know that persecution waits me. I know that imprisonment waits me. I'm not sure everything that's going to happen. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do to me. But I know it's the end of my race. And we're about to read that when, when he writes this to Timothy. I know that it's the end of my race. I would say this about myself, and I think many of you could also identify with this, that I find myself almost all the time in the wine press. I I would rarely not feel the sense of my own life that I'm not in the wine press. I always feel as though I am in it all the time, that I am being crushed in every direction, that I am being assaulted in every possible way that I can imagine. And I'm sure that there are other ways that I could be assaulted that I haven't personally experienced. But whether it's been disease in my body or whether it's been the Judas kiss or whether it's been affliction and whether it's been heartache or whether it's been rejection or whether it's been a spirit of hate and a spirit of murder that has come against my life that has tried to wreck me and tried to destroy me, tried to overthrow my family, tried to destroy my marriage, any of these types of things. I have been through it. I have gone through it. I have faced these things that have brought me to a place of such dependency upon grace, such dependency upon the presence of God, such absolute need for the power of God. That is why, not just today, but almost every day, but today in a way like never before, I just had to stand in this altar and I just had to cry to God, don't you see us? Don't you see how much we need you? Because the pressure is so great, God, that there's no way that we can make it without your grace. Oh, he that had sweet fellowship with me has lifted up his heel against me. That wave comes to us time and time and time again. But there are no time outs in life to go sit on the sidelines and say, God, I need a breather. There are no time outs. We see that in life. We see that in in games, but not in this game of life. And I want you to see this, if you will, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Bible, Timothy, is being written to by Paul, and this is about the same time that Paul was mentioned in Acts 20. And so he says here in 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 6, 
I am now ready to be offered. Are you? I'm ready. I'm not going to avoid this. I'm not going to even try to escape this. This is coming. This is the ceiling of my testimony. This is it. He's faced everything. He's faced, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he's faced it all. He's faced the friendly kisses that were always intended to betray. Hurt, wound. He's, he's faced the churches that he established fight with each other. He's watched people that he brought to Christ with the evidence and the proof that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ turn from him to follow false teachers. He's faced it all. Probably wasn't many people at Paul's funeral. He's popular now. He wasn't really popular then. Probably not a whole lot of people. As a matter of fact, even in this letter, when he's writing to Timothy, he can only list a handful of people that he prays, please bring them with you when you come see me. Get here as quick as you can. Bring my coat because I'm in this prison and it's cold. But whatever you do, don't forget to bring the word. And he's saying to Timothy, I'm ready. Beloved, are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready? Are you making haste? What is it that you're supposed to do? What's going to seal your testimony? What is that one thing that you have to get to before he comes, before Pentecost comes? What do you have to do? What are you waiting on? What are you not leaving on the field? What what time out are you trying to call? Because you need a breather and the devil's breathing down your neck and God says there's no time outs. What do you do? When are you going to finish it? Are you ready? Are you ready to be offered? Are you ready right now to be offered? Now, that is what we need to come to grips with in our life. And I love what Paul says, because I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. My time has come. The time is here. Again, time. I have to make haste. I have to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. I have, a, I have a testimony that I have to seal. I've got afflictions and enemies all along the way. But I'm not going to leave anything on the sidelines. Everything's on the field. I'm gutting it out in this last moment of my life. And I'm ready. And I love what he said. I want to finish my race with joy. Not a depressed man. You'd probably walk into that prison that day. His head was about to be chopped off. And you would say, all right, who's the guy being executed today? You probably would have walked right past Paul because he would have been the joyful one in prison. Probably singing and all of this. How much time you got? Oh, I got forever. You know, he's the one dying today. You know, you, you, you would have never picked him out. He's not this miserable, depressed Christian who has to suffer for God every day of his life. And every day of his life is hard. And every day is the life of his trial. And you can smell that man a mile away because he just reeks of suffering. No, you would have never guessed that about Paul. He was the one running in joy, running in power, running in grace, blessing the church of God, suffering for God, suffering for the church, counting it all a blessing, walking around saying, oh, my momentary, my light afflictions. And you in that day, not today, because we know the end of the story, but in that day, you probably would have stuck your nose up in the air at Paul and says, ah, that guy, he just doesn't know anything about suffering. If he had to go through what I went through, he wouldn't talk about light afflictions. Let me tell you how hard it is to walk maybe we would have said something like that to paul but that's what he says about it momentary light working for me an incredible weight of glory i cannot wait to get to so i'm running to jerusalem running there can't wait to do it 
Time is of the essence. My departure is at hand. And he's so ready. I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. When he says I fought a good fight, finishing the course, I can only understand that. And I understand in many ways, but one way I understand it is he still had joy when he was dying. I want to run my race with joy. And he still had joy when he was dying and given his life for Jesus Christ. And so I think this is absolutely so incredible. So you've watched the ball games, right? You've, you've seen the football games. You've seen the soccer games, if you will, the baseball games, the, the, the basketball games. And you watch these games and there's a clock, right? And so there's a 15-minute quarter that the football teams have to play, or where, whether it's pitching. We're coming into the playoffs in, in baseball, and you're watching that. You're just kind of into it. You know, it's the eighth and ninth inning, and everything's on the line. That The best teams are playing, so the score is oftentimes really, really close. And they bring a pitcher in, you know, and it's 11 o'clock at night, and you want to see how this thing's going to end, but you know you got to get to bed. And so the guy's pitching really, really well. And so he gets rid of this batter and then they take him out and bring another pitcher in. You're like, oh my gosh, got to go through warmups now, commercials now. Can't we just get on with the game or football? You know, the last three or two minutes of football with all the timeouts, it could take 30 minutes. You know, and somebody's running with a the football, they go out of bounds. And so the t- clock stops. Well, that's the way it is from the things that we watch. It's not the way it is with your life. You can't go to the sidelines and say, time out, and then, okay, the devil goes to his side, and you go to your side. And you can regroup, and you can think, and you can kind of evaluate, you know, this is where I am. This is where the game's unfolding. This is how far I need to go. This is what I need to accomplish, and this is what I have. No, you have to go while you're knocked flat on your back. You have to go when the breath's been knocked out of you. You have to keep walking. You have to keep running. You have to keep pursuing when it seems like you're the only man on the field, and all of hell is standing against you. I don't get a timeout. I don't get a redo. This is it. And so if people are betraying me with kisses, or if people are harassing me, or persecution comes my way, or a government is hostile towards me, I can't call a time out and say I need a breather. I just got to keep walking with the lamb. I got to run this race. I got to go with God. If in the process he wants to lead me beside a still water, thank you. If he wants to lead me into some green pastures, thank you. I will take occasion for that refreshment and that retreat. But the clock is ticking and it's a countdown clock. It's, it's not just this linear thing. There's a, time, there's a place where time ends. It ends in general for everything, but it's going to end specifically for you one day. Time ends And I want to read a couple of these scriptures to you about time. I just want you to listen to this. Brothers and sisters, this is from 1 Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, we don't have much time left. That's what Paul says. So this is Paul's advice. We don't have much time left. So starting now, those who have wives should be the same as those who don't. I'm trying to tell you how to live for a world that's about to come. It should not be important whether you are sad or whether you are happy. If you buy something, it should not matter to you that you own it. Because in this government, you really don't. 
you should use the things of the world without letting them become important to you. This is how you should live because this world, the way it is now, is soon to be gone. Time. It's a countdown. No time out. It's just counting down. That's 1 Corinthians 7, 28 through 31. Another scripture. Be very careful how you live. Live wisely, not like fools. I mean that you should buy up your time. Use every opportunity. Redeem the time for doing good because the days are evil. Take advantage of the time you've got to do good because everyone else is doing evil. Don't be foolish with your lives, but learn what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, which will ruin your life, but be filled with the Spirit. Encourage each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be willing to serve each other out of respect for Jesus Christ. Not because we deserve respect, though we do, because we're created in the image of God. But do it for Jesus. John said in his epistle, little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are Antichrist. So we know it's the last time. It's the end. It's the countdown clock. Under a minute. In Revelation, John said, the time is at hand. Another translation says it this way, there is not much time left. And in Revelation chapter 10, the angel standing upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and he swore by him that lives forever and ever, time is no more. It's coming to an end. It's a countdown clock, no timeouts. You're on the field Gut it out, make haste, seal your testimony, serve the king. Serve the king with all of your heart and with all of your might. I came across an interesting verse at the men's retreat. I was just reading in the word and I came across this. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter um, 7. And I, I would love for you to read this with me because Paul makes a comment here that It just kind of jumped out to me, and I thought it was remarkable what he says here. It says in 2 Corinthians 7.13, Therefore we were comforted in your comfort. Yes, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For if I have boasted anything... To him of you, I'm not ashamed, but as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, I bragged on y'all in other words, and I did all of this in front of Titus, he found it to be true. So Paul's very happy. And his inward affection is more abundant toward you. So Titus's heart has grown for you. You've, you've touched him and 
He has an affection for you. While he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. Wonderful. I want to read it to you in another version. What was so encouraging to us was to see how happy Titus was. You all made him feel so much better. I had bragged about you to Titus, and you didn't embarrass me. We have always told you the truth, and now what we told Titus about you has been shown to be true. And his love for you is stronger when he remembers that you were all ready to obey. You welcomed him with respect and fear. I am so happy that I can trust you fully. Wow. I say wow. Because guys, this is Corinth. This isn't Philippi. This isn't Philadelphia. This is Corinth. This is a church that has the reputation of when they go to assemble, they get drunk. This is a church that had a reputation that when people prophesied, they cursed Jesus. This is a church that had a reputation that when they came together and ate together, that the rich would have a feast and they would not feed the poor who were sitting down next to them. This was a church that Paul had to ask in his first letter to them, is anybody in your church spiritual? Are you all carnal? I can't even speak to you about spiritual things. This is the church where they would go around boasting, well, I follow Apollos, and I follow Peter, and I follow Paul, and then there's that group that followed Jesus, and they were supposedly the most spiritual of them all. And Paul says, you're all carnal. You're all carnal. This was the church that allowed a young man to have an ancestral relationship with his father's wife, and they did nothing about it. This is Corinth we're talking about, and Paul says, you have made me so happy. And I bragged about you to Titus, and I told Titus what kind of people you were. And I told Titus when he got to you, he was going to be so blessed. And I'm so happy now because Titus has come back from being with you. And everything Titus is telling me is everything I told him you would be. I am so happy I can trust you or have confidence with you in everything. This is so incredible to me because it tells me this, that we don't get a time out. And we don't get a redo. We get a new beginning. We get a new beginning. And regardless of how you've behaved or how you've come along in this walk of Christianity or in the race that you're running up to this point, and maybe you've done it really bad, maybe it's been really lousy, maybe you haven't walked with joy, maybe you haven't made haste, maybe there's a lot of things you keep telling Jesus, oh, I'm going to do this for you one day, or I'm going to help here, or I'm going to be committed one day to that, and these days keep coming and going, and that's where you are right now. God has given us a an incredible hope that we can become people that people and God can have confidence in and trust us in everything as we stand ready to obey through the grace of God, the things that God has laid out before us. 
And that's what's so encouraging to me. Because maybe as I'm playing this game and running this race, I have absolutely failed. I have been run over by the devil. I made stupid decisions. I made bad choices. I made things that, I made decisions and choices that I said were God and they turned out to not be God's choices. I was wrong. I was deceived. I hurt people. I wounded people. I was the Judas kiss. I did this. And maybe I find all of these things about me and I just fall before God and say, what a loser. Oh God, what a wretch am I? I've just blown my life. I've blown my testimony. I've blown my witness. That's exactly what the devil would want you to do. But beloved, get up and trust in the blood. Have a new beginning and say, I got to this place, but I won't finish like this. I won't finish like this. I'm going to finish strong. I'm going to run this race and I'm going to do everything that God has given me to do. I just encourage you with that. I encourage you. I pray that you can sense the hope that I'm trying to give you. That regardless of where you are right now, finish well. Finish strong. Don't put it off. Pentecost is coming. Make haste. Yes, you're going to suffer as you run, but suffer with joy. Let the king look good. Let the kingdom look glorious. Because isn't it glorious after all? I mean, isn't it really glorious after all? We win. We've won. We've won. It's already done. We've won. I mean, my God, everything that everything that the Lord has given us to do. And so I just want to say three things to you, hopefully quickly. Amen. Hopefully quickly. I, I just I appeal to you to know the joy of sacrifice for the greater good of Jesus Christ. Know the joy of sacrifice for the greater good of Jesus Christ. I have been doing uh, uh, messages at the 9 o'clock service on the New Covenant. And we have been looking at now for five weeks the New Covenant kings and New Covenant authority. And in order to understand that, you have to understand the kingdom and the king. It has totally opened up to my life. A vast understanding of the intentions of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit in my life, in the church corporately, and in the church in our generation. That we as Americans have no concept. We actually revolt and push back on the concept of a king or a kingdom. Because we're Americans. We fought against that. We don't want no king. You know, our motto is God. But this is a kingdom we're a part of. And this is a king that we serve. And we need to have the mentality of being a part of a kingdom. And a king that is worthy of our service. And when we begin to fall in line with that kingdom and that king, everything, everything that that kingdom promises us and assures us begins to flow through our life. You begin to pray, God, let your kingdom come to my thoughts. Let your kingdom come to my heart. Let your kingdom come to my spirit. Let it come to my mind. There's a lot of selfishness in the house of God. There, there's a lot of entertainment. There's a lot of pleasure seeking in the house of God. The Bible says in the last days they'll seek pleasure more than they'll seek God. Because it's not a kingdom mentality. But I just say this to you that, that really love God. You really love the king. I want, I want to first of all say this. Just begin to live the joyful sacrifice for the greater good of Jesus Christ. 
And I mean that by greater good because whatever good you're doing, if, if it's not serving Jesus Christ in the power of his Holy Spirit, there's a greater good that you could be doing. You might be doing some wonderful things. Maybe you're doing a lot of good things for your Sunday school teacher. Maybe you're doing a lot of good things for your husband. Maybe you're doing a lot of good things for your wife. Maybe you're doing a lot of good things for the pastor. Big deal. It's, if those things are good in, in themselves, people are getting blessed out of it. But there's a greater good. And the greater good is I want to do something for the king. I want to do something for the kingdom. I want to sacrifice for the kingdom. I want to sacrifice. And, and I want to tell you something, guys. You can look at this historically. And you can also test this right now in your life. Because if you look historically at the men and women of God who were willing to sacrifice themselves for the greater good of Jesus Christ, people like Paul, people like Peter, people like Amy Carmichael, people like Charles Finney, people like Whitcliffe, people like that, when they began to sacrifice themselves for the good of Jesus Christ, you will find in those people like Mueller and others, you will find the greatest joy humanity has ever seen. These people who sacrificed themselves for the greater good of Jesus Christ were the happiest people on the planet. Just look in your own life, around your surroundings, around your peers, at the community of believers who casually serve Jesus Christ. And just take note of their disposition, their attitude, their hardships, and their depressions. And then take note of those who are all in. They're all in for Jesus Christ. They're not perfect people. They're not great people. The king is perfect and the king is great. And the king has given us the grace to do what we do. But we're all in and serving the kingdom. And you look at those people and you see, yes, you see trials. Yes, you see persecution. Yes, you see hardship. And all of this should make us sad and depressed and and bitter and barren. But it doesn't. We're happy. We're joyful. Those people are just dynamic. They just want to serve the Lord. They're excited about God. They, They get up every day with wanting to serve the king. Just look at, just open your eyes and look and see. And if you want to dispel darkness and gloom in your life, just start serving the king. Do it for the greater good of God. And and the second thing I would say is this. Why not live to make the church successful? Now hear me. I'm not talking about living to make me successful. And I'm not talking about living to make one another successful. The testimony of Jesus is bound up in the church. The inheritance of God, Ephesians chapter 1, the inheritance of God has been put into the church. Therefore, why not live in such a way that the church is successful? For the testimony of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. I want to read a scripture with you here. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. A while back, a few years ago, I taught uh, uh, a series on this. This is actually chapter 16, 1 Corinthians 16. But I, I just want this to stand out to you again. It says this. I beseech you, I beg you, brothers. You know the house of Stephanus. It's the first fruits of Achaia. And they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That's what they did. They addicted themselves. Some of you used to be addicted. Everybody's addicted to something. Bluebell ice cream. You know, the really hard stuff. Millennium Crunch, stuff like that. Everybody's addicted to something. 
they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And this is a good thing. He's celebrating this. Here's a house and a family that says that we are going to be absolutely committed to serving the saints of Jesus Christ. Here's how they did it. He says that you would submit yourselves to people like that. And to everyone that helps with us and labors. So they help and they roll up their sleeves and work. They labor. I'm glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. For that which was lacking on your part, they supplied. They've refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge you them that are such. So here's this family, this household. And they have addicted themselves to serving the saints. And basically what they did was they looked for ways to help. They looked for ways they could refresh ministers. How can we refresh Paul? Where is he weary? Where is he tired? What's the burden he's carrying? How can we get underneath him and help him with this? What is this new ministry taking place in the church? What is that? Well, that's not my calling. Or they didn't ask me to help, so I'm not. No, they left me out. Not going to. No. This family said a new ministry in the church. How can I help? How can I pray? How can I serve? What can I do? And when church can become full of people like that, you make the church successful. I'm not, again, not me, not that person, but the testimony of Jesus becomes successful in the community. Hey, you're starting a Bible study? I'm actually free. And so as long as I can help you and commit to that, I will. And while you have that freedom of time, you do that. You're careful with what you say. Be careful with your promises. Be careful with your vows that I'm there forever. But maybe just this season in my life, I'm free. And that's something that I can participate in and I want to help you. Hey, we're going to stuff bags for the LSU outreach. Can't go to the outreach because I work. But when do you stuff bags? I can come do that. I had a retired minister. Tremendous minister. Retired minister approach my life, approach the church. Very respectful. I have the utmost respect for this minister. We went and sat down and had a coffee together, prayed together. I asked this minister, what can I do to help you? How can I serve you? You have devoted your life to serving God. You have pastored, you have Quote, retired, which you and I know preachers never really do. So what can I do to help you? How, how can I open a door of service for you? We want to extend to you as a church anything we can possibly do for you to fulfill your heart and your desires in ministry. And you know I'm telling the truth because probably almost every one of you have heard me say that to you. 
only to find out about two months later he would be gone somewhere else saying there was nothing for me to do there. Are you kidding me? There's always something to do in the house of God. There's always a place. There's always a way. To be able to come and say, I want to serve the saints. I want to help your ministry launch. I want to help this take off. I want to pray for that. I want to serve here. I want to give there. I want to go there. Can't go to Monroe, but how can I help? How can I pray? What do we need? You know, can I purchase some provisions or whatever it might be? What can I do? You know, what can I do? And all you've got is a dollar fifty. And you think, what good is this? It's, it's just even embarrassing for me to go tell Felix, I got a, I got a buck fifty I can give you for Monroe, but good night. That's, that's humiliating. Not if that's what you got. You have no idea what God's going to do with that dollar fifty. You have no idea. That, that's not for you to judge. That's not for us to judge. Like, oh, what a worthless gift. No, you receive it. You say, thank you, God. Multiply. Do whatever you want to do through it. Help the church become a success. And that would just tell me the third thing. And the last thing is this. Know what to look for in church. Know what to look for. And you're looking for the kingdom. You're looking for the desires of the king. You're looking to live by faith, not by your talents. You're not looking for a platform. You're not looking for a spotlight. You're just looking for the opportunities where things are weak and making them stronger. Things that are fragile and holding it together. Things that are absent. And instead of leaving that church and saying, well, it didn't have this and it didn't have that. Why didn't you create that? Why didn't, why didn't you produce that? Why, why didn't you create that, that, whatever that is? That was needed in the body of Christ that God revealed to you was not there. And maybe God wasn't gossiping with you. Hey, let me tell you, they don't even have this here. They don't have that here. Well, maybe God was showing you that because you said, I'm really counting on you to do this. Well, I don't, I don't even know how to do that. Yeah, Noah didn't know how to build an ark. And a million slaves didn't know how to build a tabernacle. And they didn't know how to work with gold. And they didn't know how to make these linen garments. But I anointed them with my spirit. And they did it. And so you look for things that are fragile. You look for things that are weak. You look for things that are absent. You begin to invest yourself there. If I could begin to do this and serve in the church, it's going to be so helpful. It's going to strengthen it. But if I'm just always looking, you know... Um, for me, I, I don't know. I love to play first base and I love to pitch. I was a horrible pitcher, but I loved to do it. And I was like seventh or eighth on the team in the lineup for pitching. You know, I was like, well, I'm not playing on this team. There's too many pitchers. And so, you know, no, you just, where can I play? Coach, develop my skill where you need me on this field because I want to play. I like first base and I like to pitch. But if you need me to catch, Put the gear on me. I want to play, right? And so we go to God and we just say, Lord, I want to serve. 
I want to be able to serve. And if I, and if I'm looking at areas where there's so much talent in what I like to do, therefore there'll be no way I'll ever get to do that. You don't know that. You have no idea about that, but God might want to open up to you a whole new world of possibilities you never thought about as you begin to serve the Lord there. There's a passage in Hebrews and it, and it, it tells us to encourage one another to consider one another. This word consider means this. And please listen to this. Just pinch your neighbor. Wake them up. I know y'all didn't stay up watching LSU and all that. Well, that was during the day anyway. Be so concerned about each other's welfare that we take time to regularly and seriously contemplate how we might encourage each other. We should make it our aim to think through from beginning to the end the question of how we might become a greater source of blessing and strength for other people. It's about you. It's not about me. That's the kingdom mind. It's about you. It's not about me. How can I inspire you? With knives in my back, with pressure on my life that you have no clue about, with being crushed in a wine press day and night that none of you know what I'm talking about. Only the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit could work and operate in my heart to make me consider how can I help you? And I know that to be a miracle at work in me. And so that's what our heart needs to be. I compliment you, and I wanted to come to this. I compliment you for how well you serve God. And I want you to hear that in my heart. Because I believe that you are an exceptional people. I watch the way that you love one another and the way that you serve one another and the way that you care for one another and you're second to none. There is an incredible depth of spiritual living among you. Your knowledge of God, your knowledge of God's word, your sacrifices to help one another. I never heard anything like Shannon's preaching. Incredible. Through suffering, through trials. You wouldn't pick her out as the one that suffered. I compliment you. Getting in these altars when I know you don't feel like it. And praising God and praying for one another. And being engaged in helping other people. When all you want to do is bury yourself in a dark room and cry. But you don't. Because it's for the king. And it's for the kingdom. And you do that. You do it exceptionally well. You do it beautifully. So that people's lives are literally transformed. Just by being around you. People are not joining this church because of the preaching. They're joining this church because of the love that they're experiencing among people. Because that's authentic Christianity. This can be hypocrisy. 
But loving one another, laying our lives down for one another, people in this altar crying out to God for Shauna as she's been taken to the hospital today, that is authentic Christianity and love and devotion. I bring this message to you because I know you're tired. I know that you get weary in well-doing. But I ask you, as the author of Hebrews did, don't faint in serving the body of Christ and in your labor of love. For God will not forget your labor of love that you do show to his saints. Show this diligence to the very end. Because there's no timeouts. And you can't go to the sideline and say, I'm tired. I don't know the next play. Well, you're going to go get sacked and you're going to have to make it up on the next play. There's no timeouts. But you're empowered. Wait on the Lord. And you'll mount up with wings like eagles. And you will walk and not grow weary and you will run and you will not faint. For the Lord will give you his strength. My friends, that's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Power of God upon your life to live a supernatural life of loving and caring for one another. I'm going to share a very brief story. This is a story about a man named Robert Reed. He had... Very bad cerebral palsy. His hands were twisted. His feet were twisted. He couldn't ride a bike. He couldn't drive a car. He couldn't comb his hair. He couldn't brush his teeth. He couldn't put his clothes on. His damage to his brain was so severe. But he was brilliant. And he graduated from high school and he Went to the university and he graduated from the university majoring in Latin. He taught in the university for a little while, but he loved missions. How does a guy like this, whose body's twisted, who could be living his life saying, unfair, just not right, why should I serve God? Instead, say, I want to serve God in missions. And with such a severe disablement, he actually would go on five mission trips. He fell in love with a city in Portugal. And he made arrangements to move there. Mind you, he can do nothing for himself. On one of his mission trips in Portugal, he meets a family and says, if I were able to move here, would you be able to take care of me? And the family agreed. So he moved to Portugal. And the family took care of him. He wasn't very needy. But just help me eat. Help me wash up. And every day, carry me to this particular park and sit me on the bench and come get me at the end of the day. And he had a stack of tracks. And every day for six years, 
hand tracks out to people. In six years, he led 70 people to Jesus. And one of those would become his wife. They brought him back to the United States and they asked him to speak to a group of people. And people were just crying as they watched this guy being brought up onto the platform thinking, and what's my excuse? I've been meaning to. He did it. He did it. And they wept. And one of the questions, Mr. Reed, do you have any regret? regrets? He said, no regrets. And he list, lifted his twisted hands up in the air. I have everything I need for joy. I have the king. What a testimony. He hasted to run his race. You will not find depressed people serving the king. They're the most happy, the most afflicted, but the most joyful. So I ask you to be aware the clock is ticking. No time else.